without further ado, we're going to turn your attention to the word of the Lord this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can pull them out and follow along with me to the book of 2 Kings. The book of 2 Kings, that's the one after 1 Kings. 2 Kings chapter 6, and we're going to begin at verse 8. 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 8. When you have it, go ahead and say amen. Amen. The word of the Lord says this, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? He was saying, We've got a spy in our midst. Someone is sharing my plans. And, no one, and one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet that is in the Israel telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. And therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host, and they came by night and campused the city about." And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host campus the city, both with horses and chariots, and his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more. Everybody said more. More than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. How many are thankful for the moment that you saw? Saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. Amen. And by the help of the Holy Ghost this morning, I'd like to preach to you a word entitled, The King Can Still Move. The king can still move. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to bless the word as it goes forth this morning. Precious Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for this faithful group of people that have gathered here in your house today, Lord. We have come for one reason and one reason only, and that's to have an encounter with you, Lord, the beauty of who you are. God, I pray that you would move and breathe in this place today, Lord, that your perfect will would be made manifest, Lord, in this place right now, in the hearts and in the minds of your people. God, I pray that your word would go forth with truth and with clarity, God, penetrating the heart of every man and woman here. Lord, that truth might take root in this place today. Lord, we ask it in the beautiful, precious name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. You can be seated this morning. Thank you for standing. <clears throat> All throughout history, from Many various cultures to culture, from great civilization to civilization, something that has seemed to always um, remain relevant 
and each of those is art. It's something that each great dynasty had its own interpretation of. Each great empire had its own style of art, if you will. This is where we get um, things like the, the vases of the Ming Dynasty. We get the great buildings of ancient Greece, the Parthenon. We get the Colosseum of Rome. And, and those cultures and those empires have influenced art, and they have their each, each distinctive types and styles of art. Many people are, are fascinated by art, by, by paintings, by sculptures, by architecture, and, and many different types of art pieces. We have art museums in the majority of our large cities. We have our own here in Cincinnati, um, where people can go and they can view works and pieces of art uh, created by both known and unknown artists, um, and they're displayed for our viewing pleasure. My wife is someone who enjoys going to art museums, and I, I do too, to an extent, um, but she enjoys them much more than I do. It's probably just because she's more cultured than I am. Um, she enjoys the finer things in life a little more than I do, perhaps, um, but we, I remember one, one instance in particular. We were on our honeymoon. We were uh, privileged to be able to go to London, England for a week. And we were there in the, I believe it was the British Art Museum. And we were enjoying it and seeing so many different historical pieces of art and statues and sculptures and, and paintings. And I was enjoying myself. I'm a history buff, so all of the, the pieces that held historical significance, I was very interested in. Um, and I remember sitting there enjoying what I was seeing, and I saw this group of people surrounding this one particular painting, and I was like, oh, I've got to go, go check that out. That's, that's got to be something really good. And I walked over there, and I, I laid eyes upon this wonderful, magnificent piece of art, and I looked at the canvas, and there... Right in the center was this large blue dot. And that was it. <laughs> I, I studied and looked for any significance of any kind, but I could find none. It was just a single blue dot. And people were studying it and asking themselves, I wonder what the artist meant by this. He meant absolutely nothing. It's a blue dot. <laughs> I know they say art's subjective, but come on. <laughs> it's a blue dot. But anyway, our art is it's something that's been around forever, it seems. And each one, each person, uh, each civilization has their own interpretation of it. And in the 19th century, a particular artist by the name of Moritz Retz created a piece of art titled The Chess Players. The Chess Players. He originally created the piece out of brass. It was like a 3D sculpture type creation out of brass. But not long after he created that, he decided to paint the exact same scene that he had sculpted into a painting that would go on to be called Checkmate. And in this painting, you can see a very bewildered young man as he's sitting there looking at the board and looking at the pieces that he has left, looking at the game that he is locked in with his opponent. And, and you look at this game, it, it becomes very obvious that he is losing to his opponent. And, and not just by a little bit, he's, he's losing badly. And his opponent in this piece of art is the artist's depiction of Satan, or the adversary. And the adversary is gaining on him with every 
move he makes. The artist did an amazing job of of animating and putting to canvas what so many of us have felt and experienced in life before. When the enemy begins to close in and begins to cut off the avenues of escape, and, and with every move the enemy seems to make, he closes in closer and closer and seems to eliminate every slim chance that there was for survival. It's been said by many that life is a lot like a game of chess. And if you play chess, you know this to be true. Chess is a game of strategy. Every single decision that you make, every single action that you take is propelling and pushing you forward, whether to success or failure. And even the most well thought out strategy can go south in no time. The the most perfectly executed plan of attack can ultimately end in your demise. And after you, you make a mistake in this game of chess or this game of life, how we wish we could simply go back a few moves and, and, and maybe go a different route. Once we see how things play out after our decision, we wish that we could go back and change a few things. Perhaps we wish we could reach back into history and, and just, just change maybe a few small things, a few small decisions, maybe make a better choice or a better move. Maybe avoid that harmful action that changed the trajectory of our lives so long ago. If only we could find a way to turn back the clock and just simply redo some things. Just just have a little do-over. We, we could change the outcome that is set before us. But I'm here to tell you that's not how this thing works. That's simply just not something we are able to do. Nobody can reach back into time and change what has been done. Nobody gets a do-over in this life that we live. Once the move is made, once the action is taken, no matter how bad the outcome, no matter how much you regret the decision, the game must go on and it must keep moving forward. No matter how bad one might want to turn back the clock and change a few things, the game must go on and the pieces must keep moving forward. Time just keeps marching on and there's nothing we can do about it. And that, that, that image that I just tried to portray to you is where we find this young man in this painting. This is where he has found himself, surrounded on all sides by the enemy. The opposition is closing in on him with every move. There is no clear path to victory anymore. No hope for an escape anymore. Defeat is all but imminent at this point. How many can relate to this, this scenario this morning? Life has a way of putting us in these types of of seemingly hopeless situations. But one day, a young man by the name of Paul Morphy, who had heard about this painting and the young chess player's predicament, he decided that it was something he just had to see for himself. Now, Paul Morphy was not just your average art fan. He was not going to just admire the artist's artwork just to see what kind of paint he used or what kind of canvas or the museum that it was displayed in. That's not why he was going. Paul Morphy was a master chess player. He was a a chess prodigy 
of that time in, in the 19th century. And at the age of 12, the mere age of 12, he defeated a Hungarian chess master in a competition. He's been thought by, by many to be the greatest chess mind that has ever lived. So Mr. Morphy decided to just go and see it and stand there and study this painting until he could prove that without a doubt, there really was no hope. Till he could prove that there really was no path to victory. Till he could prove that the young man was in fact without a doubt in checkmate, that there was no other option for him. And he wasn't the only one who decided to do this. Chess players and chess masters from all over the world came to view this painting, trying to see if there was any hope or any way out for this young man, analyzing every seemingly insignificant detail to us. But they would analyze it to, to see if there was a way out. And as Paul Morphy stood there analyzing the layout of the game and, and where the pieces were and what pieces were left and what pieces had been taken and, and, and seeing what there was left to work with and how everything was laid out. He, he began to process different strategies and different moves and, and possible outcomes in his head. And after some time of doing that, he shouted with a loud voice, he's not in checkmate. And then all the other, the chess masters and chess players around us, what, what do you mean? We've all been looking here for hours, some of us days. We, we can't, we, we don't see what you're talking about. There's no way out of this situation. What do you mean he's not in checkmate? What move could possibly save him? And he said, oh, how I love his answer. He said, we overlooked one very important detail. And that's the fact that the king can still move. <laughs> I said, the king can still move. I'm here to encourage somebody this morning. I don't care how bad it might look. I don't care how much you might be consumed by doubt. I don't care how weak your faith might be in the moment. I don't care how downtrodden you might be in this very hour. I'm here to remind somebody who's going through something that the king can still move. The king can still move. And it's not over until God says it's over. Life has this way of putting us in these checkmate type of situations. Situations that just leave you feeling completely powerless. I'm here to tell you, that is not a good feeling. To feel without hope, to feel without power, that, that nothing you do is going to matter, that it's not going to change the outcome, that the game has already been decided for you and there's nothing you can do about it. I'm talking about, about things that leave you feeling overwhelmed and defeated without any source of hope. Hopelessness is a terrible, terrible feeling. And if you haven't experienced it yet, when you live a life without Christ, look out because it's coming. I wish I could tell you that life was easy, that life was fair to everybody, and everybody got a fair shake in life, and that the life was just roses and cakewalks, and you'd never have to go through any tough circumstances or, or hard times, but everybody in this place would call my bluff, 
because they know that is simply not the case. We live in a world that is full of, of sin and degradation. And sin ravages and destroys everything that's in its path. Everything that comes in contact with it. Everything that it reaches out and touches. It's not something you can avoid. It's not something that you can simply sidestep and get away from. It's not something that you can merely maneuver around, if you will. We are literally born into this thing. It's not something that we can avoid. We are born into sin, and we are shapen in iniquity. Humanity is in this deadlock battle with sin. Scripture tells us that man that is born of a woman is of a few days and full of trouble. And no matter how kind you are, no matter how good you are, no matter how generous you might even be, life will eventually put you in a checkmate type situation. It's simply inevitable. But I'm here to tell you when you find yourself in that moment and all the options seem to have simply disappeared and you cannot see any way out of your predicament, be encouraged. I said be encouraged for we have an eternal hope. We are not a people that are hopeless. We are not a people who find ourselves without hope. You do not have to hang your head in defeat. You do not have to surrender unto the enemy because even while it might look like defeat, even though it might feel like checkmate. I want to remind you that no matter how alone you might feel in the moment, you have not been forsaken. You are not alone in your circumstance. You are not alone in the valley. You are not alone in your situation. You always have an option because the king is on the battlefield. I said the king is on the battlefield and he's not intimidated by what you're going through. He's not afraid of whatever your circumstance might be. He's not worried about your situation. He's not intimidated even a little bit. He's not limited by the, the things that limit and hinder us. He is all powerful. He is almighty. He is the great physician. He is the alpha and the omega. He is the first and he is the last. He has never once lost a battle. His arm has never once been short. His promise has never once been slack. He is the king of kings. And no matter how bleak it might look, the king can still move. The king, the king can still move. In 2 Kings chapter 6, the passage we just read, we read about how Elisha's servant woke up in the morning, went to go brush his teeth, get a cup of water, washes his face, looks out the window, and they are surrounded by the Syrian army on all sides. And he goes running to Elisha, Elisha, have you looked out the window? Do you see what I see? And scripture doesn't even tell us Elisha went to the window. <laughs> I wish we could have the kind of faith that doesn't need to go look at the window. That doesn't need to go check out the situation and make sure God, God can handle this. I'm here to tell you, it doesn't matter what it looks like. We don't have to go to the window and check out and, and, and see what's really going on. I'm here to tell you, he's more than able. And I don't have to assess the damage or assess what's coming our way. And Elisha said, I'm not worried. 
did, did you, look, I'm not worried. Fear not, for they that are with us. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. For they that are with us are more than they that be against us. I know, I know Israel has a, has a great army, but, but have you seen outside? I'm not talking about Israel's army. Lord, open his eyes and let him see what we see. And the Lord opened his eyes and he saw that the mountainsides were covered, were full of horses and chariots of fire. I'm here to lift somebody up and encourage them today. You might be going through what seems to be the trial of your life. You might look out your window every single morning and, and not understand how you're going to even make it through the day. You might feel like you're completely surrounded by the enemy and in hope has all but been lost. You may not see any way out. You may already even feel defeated in planning your surrender, but be encouraged in the Lord today. I said be encouraged in the Lord today. You might not see it right now. You might not feel it right now. You might be distracted by the chaos and, and the craziness that's surrounding you right now in the moment, but, but they that are for you are more than they that be against you. I said they that are for you are more than they that be against you. You might not be able to see it right now, but the angels of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him. And there is no circumstance. There is no hardship. There is no trial. There is no sickness. There is nothing that can pluck you from the hand of almighty God. It might look like defeat. And it might feel like defeat. Your friends might even tell you it's defeat. You might not see victory, but it's not over till God says it's over. I know it might look like checkmate, and I know it might feel like checkmate, but don't throw in the towel just yet because you overlooked one very important detail, and that's the fact that the king can still move. I said the king can still move. Hallelujah. In the little town of Bethany, just outside of Jerusalem, a man by the name of Lazarus, anyone ever heard of Lazarus, lay dying in his home. Doctors couldn't help him. Medicine couldn't help him. Nothing, nothing they did seemed to be helping him. He was just wasting away. So his sisters, Mary and Martha, did all they knew to do, and they sent for his friend Jesus. How many are thankful to have a friend in Jesus? But when, when Jesus hears the news, he reacts in a way that people wouldn't expect him to react. He says, oh, okay, and goes about his business. That's not how I would want someone to react if they were my only hope. I was sick and I was dying. But that's, that's how Jesus reacted in the moment. He took his time. He tarried where he was for a moment. And during this time, Lazarus succumbed to his sickness and Lazarus died. Death, if you've never been around someone as they're dying or as they died, there is nothing that feels more final than death. Nothing. It, it, it becomes very clear that, that their spirit is no longer there, that it is final. Death has come, and we will see them on the other side, but in this life, death feels so very final. That, I mean, that's it. Game over. No way out. Checkmate. Checkmate. Four days after, Lazarus died. Guess who decides to show up? 
Jesus. Scripture tells us that Martha ran out to him while he was still on the road, crying, Lord, if you'd only been here earlier, if you'd only gotten here sooner, if you'd only been here when there were still options, if you'd only shown up when there was still a possibility, if you'd only shown up when there was still a glimpse of hope, then maybe my brother may not have died. Martha, you see, had already decided that it was over, that she had lost, the game was over. There was no way out of this thing. He had been dead for four days. She had already decided that this was even too much for Jesus to overcome. You know, we, we have a tendency to do that, to tell God what he can, what he can't do, tell God when he's too late, when you should have showed up, when you should have performed the miracle, tell God when it's too far gone, tell God when the mountain's too high or when the valley's too low or, or the river's too wide. Let me tell you something. Don't put a period where God's put a comma. Don't put a period where God's put a comma. This story isn't over yet. The story's not over yet. Jesus looked at Martha in the midst of her grief, in the midst of her sorrow and her doubt and her disbelief. She was just overwhelmed with it. And in the midst of her checkmate situation, he said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And she responded, oh, I know, Lord. We shall rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said, no, 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 Martha. You're, you're not hearing me. You don't understand what I'm saying. I am the resurrection. <laughs> I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, even though he were dead, even though it was hopeless, even though it didn't look good, even though you couldn't see a way out, even though he were dead, yet shall he live. Do you, you know what he was telling Martha? He was saying, Martha, I know it doesn't look good, but the king can still move. I know you might not see it right now, but the king can still move. I know it looks like the game is over. I know you don't see any way out of this. I know it looks and feels like checkmate, but the king just showed up, and the king can still move. The king can still move. In the book of Judges, we find Gideon threshing wheat in a wine press. The angel of the Lord appears unto Gideon and says, Oh, mighty man of valor. And Gideon does one of these. Who? Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty man of valor. This is probably one of Gideon's lowest moments. But nonetheless, the angel of the Lord says, Oh, mighty man of valor. Because the angel saw something Gideon didn't see. The angel of the Lord said, You will be the one to lead Israel to victory over the Midianites. So Gideon said, Well, who am I to deny the angel of the Lord. I'm going to do what I can do. And so he, he begins to gather men together and begins to prepare them for battle and prepare Israel for war. And, and with his best efforts, he's able to scrounge up about 32,000 men. And you know, it's, it's not enough. They're still very much outnumbered, but the Lord is with us. You know, we can, we can overcome this thing. We can do this with the Lord on our side. Gideon feels pretty good about the situation. But as he's preparing, the Lord speaks to him and says, Gideon, we've, you, you've done good work, a good job getting everyone here, but we've got a little problem. You've got too many men. What, what do you mean we've got too many men? We are outnumbered grossly. What do you mean we have too many men? Well, you see, if you're victorious this way, you'll vaunt yourselves 
against me. And you'll think it was your own hand that delivered the Midianites unto you. Your own hand hath saved you. I need you to go in there and tell everyone who's afraid to go home. Okay, Lord. So Gideon very reluctantly went in and told the men, all right, men, thank you for showing up, but the Lord has told me if you are afraid, you need to go home. And to his dismay, 22,000 men turned around and went home. Gideon's not feeling so confident anymore. They are now unbelievably outnumbered. But the Lord speaks unto him again as Gideon's finally starting to, you know, the Lord is with us, the Lord is with us, the Lord is with us. We can do this thing. We've got 10,000 good men, and the, the Lord is with us. We can do this. And the Lord speaks unto Gideon and says, Gideon, I've still got a little problem. What now, Lord? That's still too many men. Take them down to the river for a drink, and every man that laps the water up like a dog, he can stay, but every man that gets down on their knees and drinks needs to go home. And to Gideon's horror, when he did that, took them down to the brook to drink, 9,700 men got down on their knees to drink water, leaving Gideon with 300 men. Checkmate, game over, let's go home. The Midianites won. There's no way we can be victorious with 300 men. And not only did, was he just left with 300 men, listen to what weapons he had. They had trumpets, torches, and clay pots. I don't want to go into war with a trumpet. That's not my first choice. I'm going to pick up an, a, a bazooka or, or something like that. Not a clay pot and a trumpet. But let me tell you something. While the enemy, the weapons of our warfare might not be conventional by the world's standards, believe you me, they are mighty. They are mighty. People may tell you you're crazy when prayer is your first resort to a problem or situation. The world doesn't understand why we remain faithful to the house of the Lord and how we can praise him even in the, the midst of adversity. Well, our weapons, they were never meant to make sense to the world. They're never going to make sense to the world. But rest assured, they are mighty through God. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And while 300 men with some trumpets and clay pots might not look like much on paper. Well, it might look like a checkmate type of situation. Well, it might not seem possible in any given scenario. We have no reason to fear because the king can still move. Ha <laughs> ha! I'm here to tell somebody this morning, I don't care how bad it might seem. I don't care how dark and overwhelming it might look. Your, your sense of reason might be telling you there's no hope. You might be telling yourself it's over. You might look out the window and see the enemy surrounding you on all sides. You might not see any way out, but it's not over. I said it's not over. It's not over. You will not be defeated. The God you serve has never once been defeated. The king can still move. When you've lost all hope, 
It may be tempting just to accept things as the way they are, accept things as fate and just throw in the towel and be done. But don't you start telling God what he can and what he can't do. Don't you start stepping into the shoes of the Almighty and saying, well, this situation is hopeless. It's not your right to say when it's over. When the king is on the battlefield, he is the ultimate authority. We do not get to decide when the battle is lost. Only the king gets to make that decision. And I'm here to tell you, the king we serve has a pretty good track record. He's never lost. I said he's never lost. He's healed the sick. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. I've seen him move the mountains. But you don't understand, Lord. He's been dead for four days. I do understand that, Martha, but the king can still move. But, but, but Lord, you don't understand. I've only got 300 men against this great army. I know that, Gideon. I can see that plain as day, but the king can still move. But, but, but Lord, I, I just got a bad report from the doctor. I know you did. I was there with you, but don't worry. The king can still move. But, but, but Lord, they said it's stage four cancer. I know they said what it was, but I am the great physician and the king can still move but 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 my marriage is falling apart I know it is but the king can still move but I just lost my job and the bills are piling up and I don't know what I'm gonna do the king can still move the king can still move what if we could stand to our feet? I'm not going to preach much longer this morning. I do have a question for us. How many victories have we robbed ourselves of because we decided it was over? How many miracles have we pushed back because we decided it was too far gone? How many, how many times has the Lord been there and ready to do the miraculous, ready to show up in the way that only he can, but we wouldn't let the king go to battle? How many, how many times have we not let the king go to battle? You know, one of the strategies of chess <clears throat> When you're losing, is to protect the king at all costs. You surround the king with everything you have, and you know, as long as I've got the king, we'll be all right. But we, we box the king in. And the king can't move. The king can't do anything. And I'm afraid that mentality has crept into the church. In the middle of adversity, we, we, we surround the king, and we get close to him, and we we're, we're around him, but we don't let him go to battle for us. The, the battle is his, not ours. I said the battle is his, not ours. I wonder what would happen if we would say, Lord, I know what I'm facing. You know what I'm facing. I know how I feel. I know how hopeless I feel. But I'm just going to step back and let you have your wonderful way. I'm going to get out of the way so that the king can do what kings do. I'm going to step aside and stop trying to determine my own fate. And I'm going to let you step in and be the king. 
I want to open these altars. I wonder if everyone who is going through something that you have deemed impossible for you to overcome, I wonder if you could come forward and come with that need, come with that situation. It could be anything. It could be sickness in your body. It could be problems in the home. It could be worries about your job. It could be anything at all. The thing that keeps you awake at night, the thing that makes your heart weary, the thing that fills your mind with hopelessness, the thing that makes you feel alone. There is an epidemic of loneliness in our society. The enemy wants you to feel alone. He wants to isolate you, make you feel alone, and a close neighbor of loneliness is hopelessness. And I'm here to tell you, you are never alone. (laughs) Oh, you are never alone. And because you're never alone, you're never hopeless. He is our eternal hope. He's never left me nor forsaken me. I wonder if I could get some seasoned saints who've seen him move mountains, who've seen him heal the sick, who've seen him perform miracles in situations that that seemed like they hadn't expected in. I'm here to tell you, when the king moves, anything can happen and I'm here to tell you the king is in the room right now I said the king is in the room right now are you gonna let him move are you gonna let him intervene are you gonna step aside and say Lord have your wonderful way have your way in my mind have your way in my heart have your way on my job have your way in my marriage lord move the mountains that i cannot move lord perform the miracles that i cannot perform resurrect dead dreams i rebuke hopelessness i rebuke loneliness i rebuke sickness in the name of jesus in the name of jesus Oh, I proclaim healing and restoration. I'm here to tell you the king can move. The king can still move. The king is in the house. Why don't you step out of the way and let the king do what kings do? <laughs> Lord, fight my battles. <laughs>
him. There's nothing too hard for him. There's nothing too hard for him. There's no mountain too high. Oh, give it all to him. <laughs>